Am I making any sense? All right, here we go with another episode of Am I Making Sense? Today I have a very special guest, a true renaissance man. You may have seen him in Interview Date, Killer Kate, and Comics Unleashed, to name a few. He performs stand-up comedy around the nation and has been on countless podcasts and radio shows. Most importantly, he has a new stand-up album coming out called Scheduled Fun Times. Thank you for joining me. It's the indomitable Grant Lyon. Hey, what's going on, Grant? I appreciate it. Thanks for happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. We're quarantined off. We're sheltered in place. We were supposed to do it uh, in person, but you know, these are the times we live in. Indeed they are. Uh, I've had, I, interestingly enough, none of my May shows have canceled officially yet. Yeah. I'm like, what are you guys waiting for? We know that they're not going to happen. There's no way they're going to happen in May. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't look that way. Um, It's kind of tapering. The amount of people being diagnosed with it the last two days has tapered a little. But I think they're going to want to see it really drop off. I I think probably live comedy shows are one of the last things that's going to come back. Right. That is so true. And we're going to have to get in that because it's not just comedy. I mean, it's. It's everything. Who's going to want to go to a concert? Yeah. You know, a standing room only concert. Get out of here. Yeah. Anything like, yeah, we'll, we'll start opening restaurants at half capacity. Right. We'll start opening bars at one third capacity, things like that. Those are all going to ramp up way before comedy clubs. I think so. Concerts are back for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I was supposed to, I was the last week of the, um, the Rooster Tees comedy competition and the, uh, they closed it that week and she sent, Heather sent another email saying to the people in it, I'm sure yourself, anyone who's booked there saying, okay, now we're going to go through May, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. I have the yeah. same line of thinking that you do that comedy clubs are probably, unfortunately, they're going to be the last thing probably. Yeah. I mean, I hope they come back obviously uh, yeah. rather than later, but I'm, I'm prepared for it to be like July or something like that before they really come back. I think so. That could yeah. be. So, um, so yeah. Hey Grant, usually I like to get into things about starting off with comedy, but I saw your bio. I saw yeah. you used to be a collegiate soccer player. That's true. Not too far from you at UC Santa Cruz. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So I got a two-part question for you. Okay. Um, one, do you still follow soccer? And then two is, do you have any opinions on the U.S. national team, men's national team, on whether or not they'll ever be able to find a rhythm, find success, or if United States is kind of doomed to be in uh, national soccer purgatory? Uh, I have very strong opinions about this, and we could spend the entire podcast. Nice. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> yes, because there's I a- yes, I do still follow soccer. Uh, okay. I uh, I probably follow um, you know international tournaments the most, the Euro, World Cup, things like that, and then I follow the EPL um, pretty closely. Um, okay. I you know I check in on the MLS. I admit that I don't watch it maybe as much as I should, you know? Yeah. Well, you but like what you like. Yeah. Well, and it's just, you know, when you, when you watch the English Premier League, it's like the MLS is certainly getting better. It's yeah. just nowhere approaching the EPL 
or international tournaments in terms of speed of play and quality and that sort of stuff yet. And I say this as someone who, you know, probably 12 of my teammates in college played in the MLS. Oh, nice. uh, Stuff. So, you know, I used to follow it maybe more closely when I actually had friends on teams. Yeah. And now I'm at the age where pretty much everybody is retired or is out of the league and stuff by now because I'm I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, you know? Yeah. I feel like a career, most careers don't really make it past early thirties in soccer. Um, But in terms of the men's national team, do I think we are going to compete on the world stage? Uh, No. Um, Or not for a long time, you know, 50 years from now, maybe, Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, and I think the reasons are, uh, multiple, multiple fold is one. It's just not part of soccer. It's not part of our culture. Yeah, it is. So I went down in 2006, I went down and played in Brazil for a couple of weeks Okay, and, um, just walking through these poor neighborhoods and stuff like that. And you're like, these kids are playing barefoot and they're bawling, right? Yeah. They are sick. And it's like, we just don't, we just don't do that. In America. Yeah. You know, it's not part of our, it's not a religion here. Like no. it is in some places in the world. No, you know? it's scheduled fun time for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, also the other thing is right in, in some of the world, their best athletes are going gravitating towards soccer. Yeah. Our our best athletes aren't usually. No. You know, if if we had if we said soccer, all the best athletes are going to play soccer and we're mm-hmm. not going to put them in basketball or football or tennis or all of these other things. Yeah. And yeah, I think we would compete on the yeah. world stage. But there's a reason, you know, we're sacrificing our dominance in soccer for our dominance in basketball and football and baseball and all of these other types of things. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the sense. Uh, Anyone, anytime I bring it up, I'm not a big, I don't follow soccer religiously. I have a daughter who plays and I kind of view it through that angle. Um, But certainly I've always supported national teams anytime in world cup, both men and women and kind of check into MLB every now and again. Um, or sorry, MLS, MLB. See, I'm already, so I'll check into it from time to time. Cause here in San Jose, we have a pretty, we have a decent club with the um, quakes, but the, the story I get over and over, you said the word religion. Yeah. And people say that like, no, you don't understand. It's not, not just that um, people in Brazil play to win. Yes. They play to win but that's their style. And each person is developing almost their voice. Like in comedy, you talk about developing your voice or whatever. Well, every person in Brazil wants to develop their voice in soccer. And so style and just performance and the the play of it, you know, not just the competitive aspect to it, but it's like, I'm doing art right now. And this is my painting. And it, it involves a soccer ball. And so the, I also, uh, when I was in earlier in college, I went and played in Costa Rica for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And one of the things that was so interesting to see is like, you know, we were going all over the country. It's not a huge country. So we're going, we're playing games all over the country and we're stopping and having practices in these small villages and stuff like that, which is a really cool experience. But you'd go to some of these small villages and without exaggeration, the nicest thing in the entire village 
would be their soccer pitch. Right. Right. Where it's like, there is not much money in this community. And yet that is nicer than most of the fields I play on in oh. grown up playing in America. You know, yeah. it's like that's where they're putting their resources. Yep. You know? uh, yeah. I mean, one of the coolest experiences of my life was we got off, we were in, this is, I went with my college soccer team and we were, um, you know, on a tour bus sort of thing. And we stopped in this small village, couldn't have been, you know, more than a thousand people uh, living in this, in this town. Mm-hmm. And we stopped, uh, we stopped our tour bus and we had practice there okay. in their, in the, on their field, in the middle of this town. And the entire town came out and watched it. Oh. People were like sitting on the roofs of buildings. People had climbed trees all around the field and everybody yeah. was just watching us practice. We weren't even like doing a scrimmage or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. We're just doing drills and everybody was watching us. Yeah. That's a different really mindset. Cool. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I think in America, it's, it's like you said, there's so many distractions that we have and yeah. the talent pool is Really, if kids dream, they dream in NBA, they dream in um, MLB and NFL. Those are the way, that's kind of the, the zeitgeist yeah. of our sports dreams, the and way it goes. About it, I, I was reading this thing recently about the average professional sports contract in America. You know, mm-hmm. you can make a lot of money if you're good enough to play professional in England or Spain or something like that. But yeah. in America... Um, you know, I think they were saying the average NBA contract was eight million a year. The average NFL contract was like four million a year. Major yeah. League Baseball was close to four million a year too. And MLS average contract was like three hundred thousand. Yeah, still a great living for That's most living. people. Yeah. But when you're comparing that to guys making millions. You know, it's like if I'm a if I'm a kid and I'm like want to go down a path to make some money and get out of my situation or something like that. Soccer's not the sport I'm going to pick. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and it, it is rough because that's another American. Oh, um, the camera's bouncing a little bit. Yeah, I, don't I just know if it's I just moved my. Uh, you moved it. Okay. My my legs. That's another sad, I guess, symptom of being in America is we think about dollars. Yeah. When yeah. we think about what we love to do. Like it would be a shame if there was a kid out there who really loved soccer and was a talented athlete, but then was getting advised, Oh, but there's money down the road for baseball. And then he begrudgingly swings a bat and gives up on something he really loves. But I bet that happens here in in the States anyway. Totally. Um, yeah. How old's your daughter? She's nine going on 10. So it's, um, it's about uh, the time where it starts getting fairly competitive. Oh, I'm so impressed. So she switched over from rec league to one of these club type teams. I'm so, I I switched over to club as well. Okay. Was that in Santa Cruz here? Uh, No, that was in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, no. um, I'm so impressed with the level of coaching. Like they're legit. Totally. You know, the, the rec league was just kind of, oh, go run around. There's some cones, try and get the ball around. But these guys are running, like right now she's doing Zoom meetings twice a week to get, you know, um, she has to do her footwork on the camera. Yeah, yeah. And the coaches are quizzing them and making sure they're keeping in their journal. And it's all that's good great. stuff. And she loves it, um, fortunately. So. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And you ask like how I feel about the American team. I do think 
do I think we are going to challenge for World Cup titles? Yeah. Um, in the next forty years, no. Yeah. Do I think we can be a consistent quarter finalist, sometimes semi finalist? Yes, I think we could be there, which yeah. is you know not at all right now. A successful World Cup to us is making it to the round of sixteen. Right, we get yeah. out of our group. That is a successful World Cup to us. So now I think you know the next step is being a consistent quarter finalist, and I think we do have the resources and the talent to be there at some point. Mm-hmm. We just need the right development and player pool. Yeah. You know? So you don't think it's a coaching thing? Oh, I do think it is a coaching oh, it's thing. A coaching. Okay. Um, but that's the big thing is it's the it's a coaching thing. Young. It's not a coaching thing. Once you're 17 through 30, it's a coaching Uh, thing when you're eight and nine and 10. Yeah. You know, when you show promise in places like Europe or South America, you go and live at a soccer complex at the age of nine and you are training all the time and you are living and breathing soccer. If you show promise, that's your path. We don't have anything like that for our youth development here. Yeah. That's where, that's where we are lacking is our right. youth development. And we would probably have some kind of uh, labor law or some kind of ethical <laughs> qualms yeah. about, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing that with children. So yeah, maybe. We need to send them off, <laughs> turn them into soccer warriors at a young age. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, no, I'm very curious about it and I could probably go on and on about soccer also, even though, like I said, it's not necessarily um, something I was raised with, but now I'm somewhat into it and I'm always curious to hear people's opinions. Yeah. Um, but, but moving on to other things. So stand up, you have a special coming out. One thing I like to do is get a sense for when people join the podcast, when was the first time where you felt like you either had the bug to do stand up, or how did it culminate? What was your first open mic that you went to? When did you know you wanted to get into stand-up? Can you go a little bit into your origin stories? Totally. Um, Well, as we already talked, it's an easy transition right here because I was a college soccer player. Yeah. Soccer was my whole life uh, before I found comedy. And I was a kid, you know, I I did the musicals at school and I, you know, I watched The Simpsons and I quoted The Simpsons all the time in high school for jokes. But I never knew that stand-up existed. It wasn't okay. in my purview at all. Yeah. And I, when I got to college, my roommate played Mitch Hedberg's uh, first album, Strategic Grill Locations. Okay. Uh, and it blew my mind, and I loved yeah. it so much. I loved it so much that I like listened to it over and over. And it's music. Memorized. Yeah. yeah. I it's mean, music. I legitimately memorized almost all of that album, mm. and I, uh, I. Uh, started doing it for my like soccer teammates, you know, okay. just like at practice and stuff yeah. like that. I just like, you know, in between drills, I would just yeah. tell some Mitch Hedberg jokes. And when we were in Costa Rica on that trip, I mentioned earlier, uh, mm-hmm. we were on the tour bus after our last game and it was probably the best game we'd played. We beat yeah. the team that w- nobody expected us to beat. Uh, everybody was feeling really good. And on the like two hour bus ride back, people got up on the microphone at the front of the bus and just started, started telling knock, knock jokes and street nice. jokes and that sort of stuff. It was and getting all, punchy. 
Yeah, yeah. And all my friends were like, Grant, go do some Mitch Hedberg. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Hedberg stuff. So I went up at the front of the bus and probably did 25 minutes off of that album. I stood up wow. there for like 25 minutes just doing Hedberg jokes. Uh, and that was the first time I was like, wow, that was fun. Like, I'd never stood up there. And obviously, none of it was my material or anything like yeah. that. And it was all for people I knew intimately, right? All yeah. my teammates and my coaching staff and things like that. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, that was really fun. But I still didn't think, oh, I can be a comedian, right? I was like, no, yeah. I'm, I was funny because I was doing his stuff. I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not funny. I'm funny because I... I'm quick with a Monty Python quote or a Simpsons quote, or I can do, I can plug those into the right situations, but I'm not yeah. making it up myself. And, uh, and it was actually my college soccer coach every single day at practice was like, I want to hear some Grand Lad originals. That was great. Uh, write something. And I probably poo pooed that for a month, but he said it so much that finally there would be just a thing that would happen in my life. And I'd be like, Oh, that could make a funny joke or something like that. And I started yeah. writing things down. Okay. Uh, and so the first set I ever did was later that season on another tour bus. And I got up and I probably did 10 minutes of my own jokes in front of my yeah. soccer teammates. Nice. And, uh, and then from there I was doing like house parties on campus where uh, a bunch of my friends would be there and they would turn off the music for 10 minutes and be like, everybody shut up. Grant's going to tell jokes for 10 minutes. Wow. And I would like stand up on a couch. And I did that for five months before okay. I ever worked up the courage to like actually go to an open mic that wasn't a bunch of my friends you know, yeah. and wasn't people that I knew. And okay. so I went and signed up for an open mic on campus and that was when I felt like, oh, this could be a real thing, right? Because I signed up, I did five minutes, and I crushed at this open mic. And nice. I like, I literally like ran the whole way back to my apartment and wow. like, was just so excited. And yet, still, even after that, I didn't perform off of campus for another five months. Okay. This was probably... That first open mic I did was probably February, and I didn't do a set off of campus until June or July. You okay. know? Yeah. So yeah. it was still a very slow sort of process. And when someone asks me, so that was my sophomore year of college, where I was kind of like, you know, the the tour bus was in August of uh, my sophomore year before yeah. the school year started, and then you know it was October when I did the. So you probably weren't even 21 yet. So you couldn't go to bars I was, necessarily. I was, I was not 21 yet. Yeah. And so that whole, so then, then I went um, back to, I, my mom was living in Sacramento and I had a summer job in Sacramento. So I went to Sacramento that summer after my sophomore year of uh, college. And that was when I first started doing like going to a bar, they have an open mic and I wasn't 21. Okay. So I would have to stand outside oh. of the bar yeah. wait until my set someone would escort me into on stage i'd do oh. five minutes and then they would have to escort me off wow yeah i remember one time i was in this competition that summer uh. and i couldn't even be inside when they were like announcing the winners i mean it was like a dumb bar show competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't that big a deal but 
I yeah. couldn't even be inside when they were like announcing the winners and stuff. yeah. And then so uh, then that that fall of my junior year of college, uh, we had a really successful season. My team made the national championship. Nice. I didn't do stand up once from August through December because okay. I was just so focused on yeah uh, on the training. Soccer. Yeah. And then it was January of my junior year. When someone asked me, when did I start comedy? That's when I feel like I started comedy. Makes sense. January of my yeah. junior year was when I was like, you know what? I legit want to do this. And yeah. I want to do this more and take this more seriously. And that's the first time that I started like driving around the Bay Area and yeah. doing uh, at least like a couple open mics a week and yeah. stuff. Like that. I was on stage at least two times a week starting like January, 2005. Got it. Yeah. So that's to me where I'm like this, the, the year and a half before that was all just sort of like dabbling. Am I going to do this? Is this, this a dumb college thing that I want to do? Yeah. That January of 2005, my junior year was when I was like, no, this is what I want to do. Yeah. The commitment piece of it kicked in. Yeah, for sure. I, I, yeah, I wonder, it's, it's tough because I know here in the South Bay, there's one or two mics where young people can, um, you know, get up and, and do stand up. But I think the way the liquor laws are just structured, it's very difficult for the under 21 performers to get stage time because you describe people actually escorting you. I think the places, a number of the places where I go to, they won't even, I, I that's not even an option for people under 21. Oh, because, really? Yeah, they're just they it's like no, you have to be 21 to be in here and they might just do it to simplify things cuz they don't want to get Yeah. You know. We had a couple of I I have a show a monthly show in a, in LA mm-hmm. in a bar and we have had some under 21 performers but the it's a secret bar hidden behind a barber shop. Yeah. And so the whole idea is you have to hang out in the barber shop. You cannot come back here until it is your time to perform. Ah. And, and uh yeah so that's a cool angle yeah uh, i like that what's the name of that show the blind barber we the call blind it the barber. Blind barber secret show oh that's cool yeah yeah fun. i like the sound of that so i saw when you um when we first start off you're working on a script so i wanted to get your take on you yeah, write for your stand-up people. act there, you there go. we go people <laughs> that's really cool yeah so you write for your stand-up uh you you've written uh are you writing a script um what what are the different challenges that you face between writing stand-up comedy versus writing scripts or even writing for other comedy for other people or just uh funny television type dialogue yeah they they are all very different for sure um you know i The way I've always felt is that every idea has its right medium. And so sometimes I'm like, well, I really like this idea. This is not something I can do in stand-up or in sketch or something like that. So what's the right medium for that? Uh, And so I never like set out to be, you know, I'm going to be a scriptwriter or whatever. I've just sort of followed ideas where they've taken me i suppose yeah Uh, i think the hardest part uh about switching between stand-up and screenwriting is the the level of depth you have to go right if i'm working on a bit i'm gonna give it a couple of hours and i'm gonna work on it 
and then I'm going to try it on stage and then I'll pay attention to how it does and yeah. rewrite it beyond that. But it's, it's not a thing that's actively like consuming me all the time. Right. Yeah. It's like you perform it, you think about it for a while after the show, what's a way I could do differently. Then you let it rest until the next time you perform, then you try it a little bit differently. Whereas like the script is like, I need to carve out a week to not be thinking about anything else. Ooh, that's tough. Right? Where I'm yeah. like, I, otherwise I just can't wrap my brain around it enough. Luckily my family has a um, cabin in the, in the woods uh, a couple oh. hours outside of Los Angeles. So I go there and I just yeah. write there a bunch okay. where I'm like, I'm going up there. I'm not, I'm like putting my phone on airplane mode and I'm just like putting these post-it notes up on the walls and I'm just thinking, and anytime I hit a snag, I just go for a walk and I think for like an hour about yeah. that, about that scene, about that character, about that motivation, whatever it is that I want to do. And so that's one of the things where it's like, it's hard to deep dive sometimes, right? And, yeah. and sometimes I think we all, um, do a thing where we go, oh, I'll just work on this social media post because that's easier than working on this like yeah, really hard thing yeah. that I can't wrap my head around, but I know that there's something I need to do here. Yeah. You know? so, it's almost so big you don't know where to start in a script scenario. Yeah. You know, I think the best script I've written, my best feature film came because I was so devastated that I had nowhere else to go. Uh, and so it was through, I went through this like horrible breakup like three and a half years ago. Okay. And, um, you know, I didn't want, we were living together. We were talking about getting uh, married and, uh, and she yeah. broke up with me and then started dating another dude before I had moved out. And, oh. So and I was just like, I was just really devastated. And, yeah. uh, and so I had this idea for a script and I'm like, and I was like, I just need to like get out of here. Yeah. And so I went to the cabin and I wrote a first draft of that script in three days, like through tears, just like, yeah. And then I've rewritten it a bunch. And, you know, there were definitely yeah. things then that I was like, boy, this was just a lot of emotion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it was like very helpful to just like have this impetus to just create, right? I don't want to think about, I can't think about anything else right now. And yeah. it was an idea for a script about a breakup. So I could pour a bunch of like emotions into it and stuff. Yeah. At no other point in your life would you have that same rawness to be yeah. able to approach a script. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's the best script I've written. Nice. Yeah. So, so when you get a script like that, what, what's the next step? How do you, um, I, I mean, I'm from obviously the open mic scene, but I don't even know, you know, even if you, I had a script, I wouldn't know what to do with it at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's like getting it to people, your industry contacts, right? I know a decent amount of people at production companies uh, or, or okay. agents, that sort of stuff. And you're getting the script to them to see whether they respond to it and want it. Cause me taking it out doesn't do that much. But I get a production company on board that's like, man, we love this. Uh, now people are going to now, you know, network studios, all that sort of stuff are going to pay attention a lot more. 
Got it. So, you know, and I have a manager that helps get it out to folks and that sort of stuff too. You know, uh, one of the best things to do if you mm. are a writer that doesn't have like the connections like that is <laughs> enter screenplay competitions. There oh, are well-respected screenplay competitions. If you can be a finalist in one of these, now people will take notice, right? Got you will it. get meetings with agents and managers and production companies because of the notoriety that being a finalist in the screenplay competition has brought you. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think right now I'm just 100% focused on writing jokes and telling yeah. jokes. And I think you touched on something that I think is really true. Like the deep focus it takes to write either a story novel, even short story or script versus yeah. writing a joke or a bit. It's yeah. like, I think stand-up comedy is perfect for those of us with short attention spans yes, who are willing to walk away from something, you know, like, like you talked about trying to bid out a couple times, two or three times or whatever, and then going, ah, maybe I'm not that married to it. Like yeah. that happens to us all the time in stand-up comedy, right? Sure. I mean, I've been doing it for 15 years and still half of the stuff that I say on stage won't ever yeah. make it into my act. Right. Know? It's just, it, the hit ratio so low, I feel like. And that's what I mean. It's like, you know, the hit ratio used to be even lower for me. And through 15 years of experience, I've gotten it up to maybe 50-50, but that's still like a lot of misses, you know? Yeah. That's still no, a lot of misses. I, you know, I haven't been in the game long enough to know, but I, I'm thinking this might be comparable like batting averages where if 30% yeah. of the jokes you write are good, then you're doing really well for yourself. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. And I think, you know, I do think there is some sense to like, you know, once you've figured out your voice, you're going to write mm. for yourself more yeah. effectively, right? I mean, my first, I can look back and, and really th say, I didn't write anything that I, st like me now, when was the first time I wrote a joke that I think looking back on, I'm like, that was a good joke. And it was probably like three years in. I don't uh, think anything I wrote before three years in would I feel comfortable saying now. And then, you know, between that like three and five year period, I'm like, there's a few, right? Yeah. There's not a ton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like a few. Yeah. Uh, that I had, you know, I look back on, 10 minutes that I wrote between three and five years pretty fondly. And yep. then after like the five years, now I'm like, okay, now I've started to figure out what my voice is, what I want to do on stage, who I want to be. Yeah. And that's like, uh, now that has, now I'm like, okay, I, I've written a bunch of stuff that I feel good about, you know, that. Yeah. Is there yeah. anything that you thought you wanted to give up on and then came back to and found a way to make it work? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think actually one of my biggest shortcomings as a comedian is that I will try something for too long. Mm. Like I will keep coming back to something yeah. year after year to see if I have a different angle on it and different work. And sometimes yeah. I'm like, just fucking, and it does work out sometimes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for every, two that work out there's another like six or seven that i'm like why am i trying to make this work again yeah yeah, yeah. never worked let move it move on yeah you yeah. know so but yeah i mean there's been things that i'm like i you know i think some of it is is what's your way in to the mm. joke 
And finding a different way in could make all of the difference. Okay. Right? I had I had this whole thing I was trying to do about insurance companies call things acts of God. And, and I had this whole sort of intellectual bit about it that I tried and I could never, like, it was like, it would do okay, but it was never good enough to justify hmm. like being in my full set or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and I set it aside for years, didn't come back to it. And then I had an actual experience with a drunk driver and an insurance company Okay. And it gave me this like story and personal connection into like, I, this is why I'm frustrated with insurance companies. And also here's another thing about insurance companies that is bullshit. They will still call things acts of God. And now that acts of God stuff does way better than it ever did before, because I have this whole drunk driver insurance company story that leads me into it. Right. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have more of like a, I've built a personal connection with the material and the audience. And now that stuff works way better. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you find, um, I know you have improv in your, in your background too. Do you find improv helps you out with the standup? Oh, I think they all are, um, you know, different notches you can put in your tool belt, you know, different, yeah. different I think all of it informs um, the other. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely think that improv and stand-up require so much of your energy that you kind of eventually have to pick a lane. It, it's yes. fair for some people, for people yeah. to just do it all. Yeah. Uh, and, but I think early on it is worth doing training and all of that stuff because I think improv helps you uh, think on your feet a lot more so that when you're doing standup and you don't have to be married to your material all the time, right? Like yeah. nobody wants to see a joke robot on stage. They want to see you being in the moment with them. And, uh, you know, that's what makes any live performance great is that it's a show that will never happen again, right? Yeah. So. I'm not a guy that will seek out crowd work all the time, but I also don't shy away from it if it yeah. presents itself. And I imagine that's probably somewhat because of my improv. Yeah. Training, you know? Uh, and I think, you know, all of that stuff helps with confidence too. Just being like, okay, I can do this thing. I can do this thing. I can do this thing right now. Now I'm not worried about different scenarios and situations that might come up because I feel like I have, the experience to deal with anything at this point. Yeah. Plus the way I, oh, the way I experience as a fan of stand-up comedy, I always um, enjoy when a really good act out happens. Yeah. Person's, per, person's stand-up. And I think, you know, some of the act outs are, you could almost credit to like, this is, I'm watching an improv, a one man improv skit yeah, at this yeah. point even though they know where they're going and it's not as interactive but nevertheless i would imagine that the improv training builds that muscle that if you need an act out in your performance totally. then it'll be that much more stronger and i think with sketch and improv they they teach you commitment mm. right stand-ups don't always have that much commitment right we bail on jokes and we yeah. bail on stuff and we have save lines yep that you know, oh boy, I'm not going to do that one again. You know, yeah. that sort of stuff. We have all those like little tricks. 
But I think improv, you know, it's like if you go up there and a scene has been set, you better fucking commit to it because you can't you can't get out of this right now. And so I think that helps with stand up, too, is like commit to shit. If you're going to do an act out, commit to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I do that. I've done that on multiple times where it's almost like you're making apologies for your bombed joke. Yeah. And then you get off stage, you go, I feel so icky after. I should have just either rolled on, I should have rolled through it and go, I have more material, let me roll into something else. Or I should have done something along the lines of, uh, you know, just just own it, but don't make excuses for the bomb. And yeah, with improv, I would imagine. I haven't done it yet, it looks like a blast. if I have more time down the road, I definitely want to try it. But um, I, I think, yeah, to your point, it's a really good muscle to just say, this is where I'm at and I'm going to plow through this and I'm going to make, I'm going to try and make as much fun out of whatever's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. And stand up, sometimes even stand up, I don't know, I, I get the sense from time to time that we, we can take ourselves seriously, like too serious, like we're supposed to be jokers up there, like it's okay yeah, totally. if things aren't going your way. You don't have to take it so serious and feel crushed. Oh, I, think, I think we are. We do take it very seriously. Yeah. We also take it very personally. I think yeah. that's one of the the hardest things. I mean, I did it too. I mean, I can't believe that I, you know, now when I look back on my early days of stand-up, I'm like, man, I must have, like, I, I cannot believe that I stuck with it, right? Because yeah. I was somebody that was fairly good. Um yeah you know, for a person that was just starting, but I still bombed, you know, at least every other week. Yeah. And I, it hurt so much. I would like cry in my car all the time. I cried in my car so much after that first year of standup. I mean, I, I remember thinking that I was ready to like host a week at the improv in San Jose. Yeah. doing very well on a set there and then approaching the manager and asking him for a week and him telling me why I wasn't funny and why I would never amount it. Like, yeah. I, mean, that, I mean, I was depressed for days, you know? Yeah. Uh, nowadays, like one of the nice things of with experience and, and, you know, credits or things like that is that I've done so many thousands of shows now over mm. the years that if something doesn't go well, I'd no longer take it personally, right? Either it's like, either I'll think about, okay, what did I do wrong? Did I alienate the crowd in some way? Like, or I'm like, these people just aren't my people. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, I almost feel sorry for the crowd rather than I feel hurt or upset. I'm like, this is what I do. And I know that this is good because thousands of people all over have responded to this. So if you're not, it's kind of on you. And I feel bad for you that you made the wrong choice this evening. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like almost that idea where I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry, this is not for you, but this is what I do. And so you're welcome to leave, but this is what I do. (laughs) This, yeah, yeah, this is my story. I yeah. was trying to, I was trying to think of analogy the other day. I was uh, podcasting. I don't know if you ever met Jeff, Jeff Applebaum. He's a, Oh yeah. Jeff and uh, I started out right around the same time together. Okay, great. He was the yeah. last guest on, on the podcast. So we were talking about, and I was trying to think of the metaphor of like a lens, right? So you can't, um, it's very easy to fall into the trap of saying people don't like me. 
and what I'm what I'm interpreting and putting out there is not worthy. But no, no, no. Those are people who don't really care about what the lens you're seeing things through. Yeah, totally. And also early on, your lens is blurry. You don't know how to focus yeah, the yeah. lens. You know, but let's say you have your voice and you're at a place where you are and no, I've focused my lens and this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm saying on stage. There are people who want to see that view, but they aren't always yeah. in the room. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, totally. So you just got to get, you know, keep going at it until people know how to find you. And then eventually the audience will connect with the picture or the voice or the whatever you want to call it. And yeah. then hopefully everything comes together. Dude, I mean, look at talking about, we talked about Hedberg earlier. Yeah. If you want to see the perfect example of this, uh, watch Hedberg's unedited half hour comedy central special. Okay. Those, those half hour comedy central specials end up being like 22 or 23 minutes. Right. Hedberg bombs so much in it that yeah. he ends up doing like 45 minutes to try to give them something to edit together into like 22 minutes. Because this was, I mean, this is a guy that was on the verge of being famous yeah. when he died, cult following, everybody, so many people love him, making yeah. a ton of money, and yet he still would absolutely bomb in front of a crowd that didn't know who he was, that didn't know what he was going to do and what he was about, right? Yeah. But, you know, I've heard this said before where it's like, if a hundred people walk out of the room and go, yeah, that guy was funny, he was all right. Yeah. And then never think about you again. That does less for your career than 99 people hating you and one person walking out and going, that's the funniest person I've ever seen. I want to know everything that they're doing. Interesting. You know? Yeah. It's not about necessarily the people who hate you or the people who are like, eh, it's about that one or those fans yeah. that really just connect. Well, I'm sure you've heard this theory of like a thousand true fans, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. of that. Well, it's, I mean, that's really what the age we're living in. It's like you, if you can build a thousand true fans and... You know, the, the theory is like, right, if you have a thousand people that are willing to spend a hundred dollars on you a year, you're making a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And right. that's a living as an artist. Yeah. You know, right. it's like, all right, well, maybe I'm not generating, you know, a hundred dollars worth of stuff every year, right? You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not doing that, but but I'm generating, you know, twenty-five to fifty dollars worth of stuff yeah. a year and is our our is uh, 5,000 true fans, is that like an achievable goal? Well, that feels pretty achievable to me, yes. right? In the internet age, that's very achievable. But I mean, you find, yeah. you build 5,000 true fans and you're making a living as an artist. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think another thing has happened where the notion of uh, comic mega stardom, I think the sun has set on that. Yeah. It's good and bad. I think it's good because obviously, you know, society is get, getting more and more, I don't want to use the word divided, but it seems like the most correct word, more and more divided, but our tastes are very much more particular now. Yeah. And so, niches make riches. What's that? You ever heard that? Niches make riches. Niches. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah. You got to find, you have to find a niche right now. There you go. Yeah. And so it's, um, it, and our audiences are much more accessible mm -hmm. because of the internet and because of the medium is just, and now, I mean, we haven't even got to talking about the state of affairs we're in right now, 
where, um, you know, probably internet performing is going to have to be a thing for at least a few more months. Yeah. Um, but I think that we'll never have maybe the priors and the Hedbergs and, um, you know, the, the really big acts. Yeah. Uh, even there, they are out there, right? Chappelle's out there. He's a huge act. Um, Joe yeah. Coy is doing arenas. So there are these big acts, yeah. but that's, but you don't need to strive for that anymore. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, and there's like a ton of people now that aren't even going to comedy clubs, yeah. right? It's like, I've built a following, not me, but I'm saying, because yeah. I haven't done this yet, but I have, I'm friends with plenty of people that are like, I've built a following through my podcast and through my album and this and that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go to a comedy club anymore. I am going to do a, a tour where I go to a town and I do a show in an indie rock club and I take the door and I've built up enough of these niche followings in these different yeah. places that I can go from city to city and sell out these places. One of my old roommates is Shane Moss. And uh, oh, yeah. he, uh, man, he, Shane's done such a great job of like building these sort of, niche shows right he did like a psychedelic comedy show yep now he's doing this uh science comedy show uh, and he can go to these places and promote science comedy and people even if they're not like oh i don't know who shane moss is but they're like well i like science and this sounds yeah. funny and interesting so i'll go to that show yeah. or hey man i've always liked doing mushrooms i'll check this out and yeah, yeah. he has really built a following and shane barely does comedy clubs anymore Mm, well, interesting. Yeah. I liked his documentary. Totally. And Shane's and Shane, I mean, Shane has a Netflix special. He's got a comedy central half hour. Yeah. He could do any comedy club in the country that he wants to do. And he would yeah. do very well and people would like him, but he is more thinking about like, well, how do I, instead of going to a comedy club where there's just going to be a bunch of people who don't know who I am, how can I do a show for the people that want to see me? And yeah. are interested in the stuff that I want to talk about, you know. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of power to that. Yeah, I think so. It, bringing it directly to your people, and it feels less exploitive, yeah. right? Because he's probably t yeah. talking direct to the venues, and there's not as many hands sure. in the the the. I don't know. I'm just speculating, but yeah, no. I think um, in the end, if you can actually, if you do have a following, you make more money that way too. Yeah. You know. Definitely. So on to the, this pandemic that we're in that we touched on a little yeah. bit at the top of the hour. How do you see entertainment recovering from this? What do you think are the steps as performers that each of us have to be thinking about yeah. um, to, get, to get, I guess, out of this mess? And also, everyone, I'm imagining everyone's going to be very anxious and afraid to be going out. And I also think, unfortunately, there are going to be a lot of venues that will be casualties of this. I agree. Um, what do you, are you thinking about game plan to make it to get, I guess, get, I think, to reboot the whole scene, if you will? Yeah, yeah. I think the hardest part of it right now, thinking about anything, is that we just don't know how long this is going to last for. I was yeah. talking to my buddy Brendan Lynch, who, who was a Bay Area comic. I don't know if you know him. Link uh, sounds very familiar. Uh, yeah, he is a great dude. Very funny. Um, but we were talking on the phone yesterday and, and we were just talking about like, you know, what do you think happens at the end of this? 
you know, with comedy and how does comedy change? And, and the hard thing is like, well, if it doesn't last that long, I don't think the landscape changes that much. It's yeah. just sort of like we've hit pause mm. and then and unpause. Yeah. You know, if, if everything is back to normal performing wise by June, I don't think there's any real sort of yeah. lasting changes. Yes, there might be a couple of comedy clubs that don't reopen because they didn't have enough of a of a, a safety net, you know, yeah. things like that. But I really don't think the landscape changes that much. It's just like, hey, that was like a crazy three month pause, yeah. and now we're back into it. If this lasts for a year, I think the landscape is drastically different at yeah. the end of it. You know, I've been doing a lot of these Zoom shows yeah. uh, right now, and you know. It's like, well, are these things going to exist beyond this? And it's like, I, I don't know that they will because yeah. while they are really great at meeting a need right now yeah. and I am enjoying doing them, yeah. they are still clearly a poor substitute for a yeah. live experience, right? Yeah. And we are making the best of yes. a, an awful situation right now, yeah. but like our zoom shows going to still exist once life is back to normal. Uh, I don't think so very much. Um, yeah, I hope not. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I definitely think right now is a time to be like reflecting on your path. And I think every performer should be doing that is like doing a bit of soul searching right now of like, well, what really does excite me what do i want to talk about how do i want to move forward you know what are realistic goals you know that sort of stuff so i think people should be evaluating that sort of stuff yeah. a lot right now um but it's i mean it's just so hard to say because we don't know there is no end in sight i mean yeah. I, I could see a world where we are back to normal in june and i could see a world where we're not back to live shows until 2021 you know yeah so I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm yeah, I'm optimistically I'm hoping for that June scenario. <laughs> well, this yeah. is what I can say. I, I think me just kind of I even th before the original shelter in place here in the Bay Area went into place, I was very cavalier about the whole thing. Yeah. And I was one of these guys who was like, well, yeah, but doesn't the flu kill a lot of people? And my yeah. wife kept saying, no, 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 you don't understand because she has more friends who work in um, healthcare. And yeah. she was, no, no, you don't understand. It, the flu doesn't inundate healthcare facilities with yeah. people who need beds. And the yeah. big problem, I mean, obviously the problem is people dying. That's, that's the big problem. But she's, it's like, no, the, the hospitals are getting to hit capacity, which means every other person who needs help now takes second, second priority. So you, you yeah. have this catastrophic snowball effect. So I was For very sure. cavalier up and until the point, obviously Italy and the numbers in Spain started me, making me nervous. And then here in the Bay area, we did a, um, we got this shelter in place mandate, I think a week before California. Yeah. And that's when New York started really pop on. And then I go, Oh man. And I started thinking, yeah. like I said, Grant, at the top of the I started thinking about wait a minute. I like, I like concerts. I like comedy clubs. I like dive bars. I'll do open mic just cause I like being in a dive bar with people. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm thinking how, how much transmission is going on in places like this. And I never, I was always arrogant. Like, 
well, I don't get sick that much. You know, I, yeah. I jog a couple times a week, so I'm not, I don't fit the criteria, but now after this whole thing, it's been kind of like, well, even if they say May 1st, everyone can go out. I don't know that I'll be in dive bars May yeah. 2nd. You know what I mean? I'll probably sure. be, it'll be June. So, yeah. so what that means is I'm in an N plus one mentality. So if they say May, I'll probably be June. If they say June, it'll probably be July. Um, and if I'm in that mentality and I was kind of arrogant yeah. and confident before this, that means probably the most of America is in somewhat of a similar mindset where they're going to dip their toe. Um, so yeah, I think, um, with respect to comedy, of course, the, the stage I'm at with open mics, it's going to really come down to the hardcore producers who are willing to get back out there and start their open mics up again. Yeah. And I'm certainly willing to throw my hat into that and find a venue that would be willing to host open mics. And then, of course, we have the big do-it-yourself scene here in the South Bay. So people who just produce shows in um, breweries and um, yeah. wherever else, they'll probably have to get it back online. I'm hoping... The, the club level scene, I'm hoping all the clubs had enough runtime and so that you touring yeah. comics will be out on the road again, you know, like that. Um, but I don't know. I think it's precarious. And, and more so than comedy, for, I'm thinking more like concerts and NBA games and things like, yeah. like stadiums. That's where, like, I know I've been sneezed and coughed on so many times at concerts that I don't know if I want to see a band that bad anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about that this brings into even more focus is as an artist, we need to create sources of passive income. Um, And this makes me think even more seriously about how to do that sort of stuff, right? It's like that I need albums, I need books, I need all of these sort of things. Get yourself a Patreon account. You know, it, it is. I mean, that's how you... Because boy, if if your entire income is based just on touring dates, it's too precarious. Yeah. Right? It's it's just this this is proof of that. Right. Yeah. Uh so yeah. I was already thinking about that sort of stuff before this, but now it makes me double down on it even more. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's gonna be interesting. I think everything will be fine. I think everyone will be fine, but I think everyone's gonna be a little rattled for a bit oh, here. For sure. Um, and so we'll just have to, as usual, we'll have to get creative about, um, how to get things rebooted. Um, so speaking of that, that's a perfect, that's another perfect segue. (laughs) So talk to me about your album. How can people get your, uh, scheduled fun times? How can they get access to it? And then obviously we don't know when, but at some point you're going to be going on tour again. Is that to, um, support the album or are you gonna be trying out new stuff? What's that going to look like? Well, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything from the album at all. And I wasn't yeah. even this fall and, and winter. So mm-hmm. I like to, once I put it on an album, it's retired. And when yeah. you come see me live, you're seeing something totally different. So okay. I think that's a better way to make fans, right? Is I yes. want you to be seeing new stuff for me. I want you to be having new things to look forward to. Um, you know, if someone ever reaches out to me on social media and says, hey, I'm coming to see you, I'd love for you to do that joke. I'm always happy to do that sort of yeah. stuff. Uh, I'm not trying to be a snob about it, but right. jokes aren't um, aren't like songs, right? It's like, if you've heard them three or four times, you're pretty good. At, like, I don't know that I need to hear it 
30 times, you know? I think I, I agree with that to some extent, but then, you know, in these times where sometimes you want a quick laugh, I, I still do my YouTube searches for guys like Hedberg, for guys yeah. like Rodney Dangerfield. He's another comfort food of mine. Like totally. I know all his jokes. I know yeah. his timing, but for some reason, it's like, I, I want to hear that. I want to hear th those particular and, jokes from him again. Yeah, I like that too with the people I love. But if I went and saw them live, I would be hoping to see something different. Good point. Actually, yeah. that's happened to me on multiple occasions. Yeah. Where I'll go see a comic and I, it'll have been three years since I seen yeah. him. And then I'll go. And you're like, oh, but I could what? go listen to that stuff anytime I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see something new from you. Right, oh. right. So the album is, uh, I mean, literally available everywhere. It's on iTunes. Okay. It's on uh, Spotify. It's on Pandora. It's on uh, Google Play. It's on Amazon. I mean, people nice. can get it however they want to get it, you know? Okay. So, yeah, it came Fantastic. out March 24th. So it has just been out for, it's still brand new out there. Nice. Go yeah. check it out, people. Thank you. Cool, Grant. Well, is there anything else you want to um cover right now any other stuff you're promoting uh no i mean i uh if if people want to follow me i do have other things coming out soon so if people want to follow me on like social media they'll see i sold a board game that will be coming out this summer uh I'm, dude uh, yeah oh i, I wish i would have known you're into board games i could yeah. talk board games i could do a podcast on board games too what's yeah, your but, talk to me about your board game what's it like uh it's called curmudgeon it's a party <laughs> game Best played with friends. Perfect. Okay. Uh, uh, the tagline is a game of silly insults, dummy. Uh, and <laughs> essentially, like uh, it's essentially like Mad Lib roasting. You know, that's everybody, genius. Everybody has life cards in front of them. Your life cards might say like house, dog, hamster, fiance, any of that okay. sort of stuff. And then you've got. Um, like word cards in your hand and it's up to you to like make up an insult using these word cards and throw it down on an aspect of somebody's life. So like, well, uh, here's an example. Like if you had the card hamster, okay. in front of you, I'm a, and I have the words uh, uh, obese and uh, uh, night, you know, okay. I might say like, your hamster is so obese it has to use a CPAP machine at night. <laughs> <laughs> and throw that down oh that's a great game for comedians yeah it's a super it forces you to think but it gives you some framework it's to work in but it allows you to be creative i don't know if like for me as a comedian i am not that interested in games like cards against humanity no or like that where they're they're actually fairly boring to me it's boring right? it's, it's there's no you you have no agency in the game at all no. this is a game that allows you to be creative Yes. You know, uh, which is why I think anybody that, uh, and, and I, I've actually played it with a lot of people that don't consider themselves funny and have gotten big laughs in the yeah. game because they go, oh man, it's like you just throw a bunch of silly stuff together and it's funny. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't require that much from you. Curmudgeon. Uh, curmudgeon. Okay. Coming out this summer. I can't wait for that. That's right Thank up my you. alley. Uh, How long did it take you to design that? Oh, about three years. Okay. Yeah, of play testing, and you know, it took like a year of essentially it was like a year of development, a year of play testing and redoing, and then a year of like pitching to companies. Okay. Yeah. 
So someone else is uh, distributing it for you then? Yeah, 25th Century Games. Um, okay. They're a company, their biggest game is a game called Space Explorers, okay. um, which is like on the shelves of Barnes and Noble and Target and that sort of stuff. Nice. So, well, yeah. I'm definitely going to be getting that. Thank you. Um, what, how about you? Are you going to get a Patreon page up? I don't know. I have never, I have not done that before. Uh, to me, I'm like, if I have a podcast at some point, I will probably do a yeah. Patreon, but just to have a Patreon, I'm not sure I'm there yet. Well, is game is like playing board games, something that you're into or was it? Oh, this big was just time. Yeah. We play a shit ton in my house. Yeah. That's... We, own, we own like 75 board games here and stuff. Wow. And we own, yeah. I mean, it's been really, uh, boy, am I glad to have all of those during the shelter, yeah. you know? We've been playing a we've been playing a board game a day at least here. I live with three other comedians, so the four of us. There's so many good games you can play with four people. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's what we're. I, but you know, I have my kids are younger, seven and nine, so their yeah. sophistication. It's not. We we have some good games, but totally. Um, you know, they're kind of like uh, exploding kittens, and yeah. There's another game but, that um we they got into which I really enjoy called um Mega City. Okay mega town anyway it's one of these resource games like um seven wonders yeah we love seven wonders here oh that's a great game seven wonders duel is i think the best two-player game there is out there oh i haven't been exposed to that that's it's seven wonders but it's a two-player format of it okay it's great it's great i love it i've tried writing jokes about board game i've even tried writing jokes about dungeons and dragons on stage but it feels really unrelatable Okay. Um, sometimes they work, but a, a lot of times they don't. Um, but again, I think that's like the phase I'm in in standup. Like you said, <laughs> a lot of my jokes aren't gonna aren't gonna land. Yeah, that's okay. So anyway, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> I could definitely see you having a Patreon page if you like post up uh, game reviews or something like that. Yeah, I could see that. It would be good for sure. Well, Grant, it's been about an hour. This has been an absolute uh, pleasure you, chatting Brent. with you. And um, yeah, I, I wish you the best. And when you do come, I'm going to keep an eye on your schedule. Oh, your website, your website. It is yeah. uh, grantlion.com. Grant, easy enough. Grantlion.com. Yep. There we go. L-Y-O-N. So um, yeah, I'm going to check it out and I'm going to go see you and maybe we'll get a chance to talk. But um, yeah, be safe, sure. my friend. And yeah, uh, we'll chat soon. You stay safe too.